This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is interesting, in John 6, Jesus said, unless you partake of my, you know, my flesh, right? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, again, for those who really, whose hearts weren't right, they couldn't understand that. But for those who have been drawn by God and they really were following Jesus Christ for the right reasons, there was a part of them that really understood you know, what was, in some case, what was really happening, although they still weren't familiar with what the crucifixion and the resurrection. But, it, you know, one thing that's interesting, the Old Testament sacrifices, what did you do with the blood? You drained it out. Why? Because the life is in the blood. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus in John 6 says, drink my blood. You know, the only way we can have life is to partake of the life of Jesus Christ. Then Colossians says, we've been made alive in Christ. What does that mean? And we were, we were the walking dead. You know, <laughs> you got that TV series, you want some real walking dead? Live your life apart from Jesus Christ. Go through your life never repenting and surrendering to Christ. You'd probably be a good candidate for that show, The Walking Dead. <laughs> But the truth is that in Christ, we've been made alive. And that's the whole message that God has given us in the Bible. What took place with the presence of Jesus when he came and took on humanity and, and, and started communicating the truth of who he was, it's all about Jesus Christ, you know, partaking of his life. And that's why Christ said, unless we're born again, we, we won't see the kingdom of God. Our spirit cannot identify with God unless God does a wonderful work of regenerating our spirit so that we can identify with the life of Christ. You know, in Romans 8, you know, you see one of those Trinitarian uh, uh, verses where the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, and the spirit of the Holy Spirit are all interchangeable because the Holy Spirit that takes up residency in the heart is the spirit of Christ, and our eyes are open. Okay, um, and so, you know, we did communion. I'm going to talk about the book of Colossians, its purpose and its goal, because every book in the Bible has a theme. And we're going to try to capture the theme of the book of Colossians. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you as we lift this night up to you. I do pray, Father, as I echo the prayers of our worship leader, you know, Father, let us draw closer to you and come away tonight uh, even that much closer to understanding the fullness of the faith as we get to know you, Father, through the understanding that the Spirit of Jesus Christ has given us. And now, Father, we, we can skies the limit in knowing you through your grace and through your mercy. And I just pray, Father, as we look at passages in the book of Colossians that we would be so touched in our hearts that we, we start even getting a deeper understanding of this great salvation that you have bestowed upon us. 
And so, Father, help me to communicate effectively. Help me to bring out the gems of this great book that you've given us. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would just receive the love of the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I won't ask you all to move in the middle. I'll let it go. But it is a funny thing in American churches. One person walks in, they sit over there. Another person walks, they sit over there. Another person walks, sit over there. They tell me there's places in Europe where if there's one person sitting waiting for the service and another person comes in, they'll go and sit right next to that person. That is interesting. And I'm just, you know, but I won't make a big deal out of it. But you know what? You know, next time, get in the middle. Get to know somebody, right? We're going to spend eternity together. All right, let's don't keep our distance. Amen? Amen. Let's look at second. Uh, let's look at Colossians chapter 2. I want to read this chapter just to get the heartbeat of this wonderful book. And then we'll talk about the theme. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. This is Paul speaking to the Colossians. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If there's any secrets about the Father, they're all found in Jesus Christ. Want to know the Father? Want to know God? Want to know the creator of all the earth? Know Jesus. Amen? <laughs> in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Again, there's a persuasiveness that can go on in church circles or in religious circles that are actually pulling us away from the person of Christ. This book is going to address it. There's a lot of practices that go on in religious circles that are actually suppressing the truth and blinding people from seeing the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I preach Christ. I'm not into the wisdom of the world. I'm not into the techniques. I preach Christ crucified. That's the starting point where God opens up our eyes and all of a sudden we can see clearly but if we, you know, 2 Corinthians is an interesting chapter. If you get a chance on your own time, the context is contrasting the law versus grace. If a person puts themselves back under the Mosaic law after God set us free from the condemnation of the Mosaic law, he says that Christ will be veiled to you. Now, the application explodes that if we substitute anything in the standard of righteousness that God has given us in Christ, and we start following a persuasive teaching that really has nothing to do with the person of Jesus Christ, we're, we're going to put a veil over our eyes, and we're not going to be able to see clearly the truth about the gospel, the truth about the Father, and we're not going to be able to go forward. Because if the truth gets suppressed, it's going to be very hard for us to really grow in the Lord. And, we don't, and that's why every book of the Bible addresses false presentations of truth. This is no different than the book of Colossians. I think the only book that in the New Testament that doesn't address a false presentation is Philemon, and that's kind of a different emphasis. 
But even in that, the gospel is played out in the relationship between the Apostle Paul and Onesimus. But the reality is that the, we've been entrusted with the truth. We've got to protect it. There is so much infiltration of, of persuasive ideas and philosophies of man. They all sound good. That's why uh, th these people have a following. There's something attractive. They're very attracted to our human nature. But here's the thing. When we're preaching Christ, what do we, what's the goal? To provoke our regenerated spirit. Not to give us curiosity about human nature and the way we all act. That's why we can identify with teachings and popular teachings on TV where the person's not even preaching Christ, but they're appealing to our human nature. But they're not really appealing to our spirit. See me, I want somebody to provoke me in my spirit that's been regenerated in the fellowship that I share with Christ. That's what I like. Provoke me. And to the fullness, we prayed tonight. Stephanie was praying. I think it was Stephanie. We were praying, uh, you know, draw us closer to Christ. Well, if we can't get provoked in our spirit, how are we going to draw closer to God? If we're going to just hear a niceness messages or goodness messages without a real divine message or a message of God's divine righteousness in Christ, it's going to be very hard to draw us into the fullness of the faith. And that's why the Bible, starting with Jesus, you know, told us to protect against humanistic ideas about God. Make sure that the person is preaching the truth of the Bible so that we can come face to face with Jesus Christ and really experience everything that God has for us. Even, you know, we're, we're going to look at some of the things, but tradition, the history of the church, Right out of the gate, they were into all kinds of craziness. And the church of the Middle Ages, Catholicism, was all tradition. I grew up in it. How sad. All that tradition blinded the people from knowing who Jesus is. If we don't know who Jesus is, I don't know how we can advance or mature in the faith. And Colossians is one of those books that really captures it. The book of Hebrews, the supremacy of Christ as the high priest, contrasting it with the Old Testament law. Yeah, it was ordained by God, the law of Moses, the priesthood, but it paled in comparison to the superiority of Jesus Christ as our high priest and the fellowship we have with him. Now, once again, the book of Colossians is bringing us face to face with the supremacy of Christ, not in contrast to the Old Testament priests, but showing us that through Christ, we can go forward in the faith. And so he's showing the supremacy of Christ in the practice of righteousness. There's only one standard that God has set up for us as, as New Testament believers. His name is Jesus. That's the only standard that we follow in order to mature. Now, why is this so important? Well, it's very hard for the Holy Spirit to drive home the truth of Jesus Christ if someone is teaching some kind of philosophy or some kind of new fad or some kind of new idea or some kind of liturgy that has the form of godliness or some kind of tradition which has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Now in John 14, 15, and 16, what did Jesus say when I depart? I'm going to send you the helper. Right? What's the helper 
who is the Holy Spirit going to do? Magnify the person of Jesus Christ. He's going to glorify the Father and the Son by testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ, piercing our hearts with this truth so that we can see Christ in his fullness and now have an example to follow in the fellowship that we have in Christ. See, it's not good to compare ourselves to somebody else in the faith. We'll always find someone we're better than. <laughs> right? Hey, right? And it'll just puff us up, and we'll start boasting in the flesh. What we want to do is always, every day, compare ourselves to the holiness of God, his perfect holiness. See, that's a difference. We compare ourselves to the righteousness of Christ, to the holiness of the Father, trust me, we will be humbled. We won't get caught speeding with pride. We're going to get, we're going to be humbled. You know, humility is something we can only capture by walking with God. Golda Meir said something very profound. She was the prime minister of Israel in the 70s. Stop trying to be so humbled, you're not that great. There's a lot of truth to that, okay? The reality is that humility, grace, love, mercy, these are words that we can only capture in their, in their essence and in their spiritual definition by walking with God on a daily basis. Go ahead, tell somebody, explain to me love. Well, the Greek word's agape. Okay, I get it, you know? But how are we going to capture the unconditional and the self-sacrificing love of Christ by just reading about it and not fellowshipping with God? When we fellowship with God, all of a sudden we share his heart. We start really seeing the depths of God's love. We start understanding how far, in a good way, we fall short of the glory of God. Now what happens in our love for God? We pursue that kind of love. We pursue that kind of mercy. We pursue that kind of you know, grace. Now again, grace, how do you interpret grace? I can tell you the Greek word, but I don't want you to capture it on paper. I want you to capture the essence of those words as we build each other up in the faith. And all of a sudden, we start really understanding what grace is. We start really understanding what mercy is. We start really understanding what humility is. The biggest alarms that go off is when someone's bragging about how humble they are. That gets me a little concerned, you know. <laughs> if you're humbled and growing in the humility of Jesus Christ, trust me, you don't have to tell people. They'll see it, really. You know. And, and that's just something that, you know, as we grow with the Lord, we're, we're not even, the more we mature, the less we even think about boasting about ourselves, right? You know, we might boast about ourselves at the beginning because we're going through a maturing process. But boy, when we grow in the Lord, we don't even think about boasting in the flesh. We boast in the Lord. And we start with our testimonies, what Jesus Christ is doing for me. Amen. I'm here tonight, I don't want anything that's out there. And I'm telling you, these false presentations are coming in droves. I don't want you, I don't want anyone to cut in on your race. I want you to run the race with the spirit-filled life. That's all God has asked us, live a spirit-filled life. Why? So the Holy Spirit will have all of us. And living a spirit-filled life, we have to ask ourselves, do we have all of the Holy Spirit? 
that has all of us. We have to ask ourselves. And if the Holy Spirit has all of us, and we're walking in the truth by holding on to all of the Holy Spirit and letting him guide us, we're going to grow in leaps and bounds. That's how simple this is. We will grow in leaps and bounds. Remember, there's only one standard of righteousness, Jesus Christ. Any other standard that challenges that, it'll cripple an innocent mind that wants to please God. And so let me read this as, you know, this is basically what, uh, verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now he's moving on to sanctification. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now here's the negative. Here's what we need to guard against. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men. Boy, those Pharisees, they were full of traditions until Jesus Christ rebuked them in Matthew 15. You, 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 you got all your traditions and you disobey the word of God because of all these traditions. Man, he just rebuked them. And what does the church in the Middle Ages do? The same mistake the Pharisees made. They set up all these traditions. I grew up, I had to get through saints, I had to get through Mary, I had to get through all these traditional, additional teachings by man. I couldn't even get to Christ until someone came up to me and preached the gospel message and told me this is all about Jesus. You know, all that other stuff is just window dressing. It doesn't do what God wants to do by sending Christ into our hearts. And so he says, beware, verse 8, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and power. Let me, let me just say this. One of the things that really blesses disciples I've had or mentees when I explain to them who they are in Christ, it's almost like they have a revolution, revelation, excuse me. Their eyes are open and they realize, Tommy, I didn't realize who I was in Christ. I want you to know who you are in Christ so you can say no to ungodliness and, and, and say yes to holiness. But the enemy's working overtime, trying to defeat us and trying to suppress the, the, the faith, chirping in our ears, bringing doubt. And how do we fight back? We fight back by knowing who we are as new creations in Christ. We're a new creation. And trust me, the scriptures teach that we are fully equipped with everything necessary to walk the Christian life at the point of conversion. That's just the truth. Everything we need is already there. This verse is saying we are complete in Christ. Okay? We don't need any extra work, any additional things. We have the whole package at the point of salvation. What we need to learn through maturing is how to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Believe me, God has once and for all empowered us at the point of salvation. It's up to us to mature and to learn how to walk 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we get sidetracked and we get persuaded by some liar or some kind of ideology or some kind of philosophy, we're going to walk in the power of the flesh, chasing that kind of persuasion or listening to it. We'll reduce the power of the Holy Spirit to the power of the flesh by adhering to these philosophies or ideas. We don't want that to happen. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You've got to love it. Circumcision, big deal in the Old Testament, right? Eight days after your birth, everybody, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant picked it up, right? Yeah, I mean, even God's threatening to kill Moses. I don't know how far he was going to go with that because he had a purpose for him. But remember, he didn't circumcise his kid and Zipporah. She's having a, you know, she's giving him a hard time. Now, all of a sudden, he starts talking about circumcision in a spiritual way. See, water baptism this morning, your church was, you know, Pastor Tim was baptizing people, right? There's something symbolic about that. You know, we're going in the water, maybe saying goodbye to our old life, being raised up in the newness of life, Right? circumcision, man. We need something to change in our hearts. All of a sudden, spiritually, God, through the Holy Spirit, through regeneration, has circumcised our hearts. Now, all of a sudden, again, not only can we, you know, understand God through the renewing of the Holy Spirit, but because of this circumcision of the heart, we can share the heart of God in the practice of righteousness. Pretty good deal, huh? In this salvation. Hmm. And so we were buried with him in baptism. He's talking about spirit baptism that takes place when we're saved. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we were defenseless against God. We were enemies of God before Christ. But look at this. He has made us alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses and having wiped out the, hand, the, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having kneeled it to the cross. See, he's using language that the recipients at this time would be familiar with. If you committed a crime, okay, you robbed the bank, right? you robbed somebody, two years, we're going to throw you in the cell. You know what they would do? They would put a little certificate outside your cell. This man serving two years for robbing a thief. Two years of serve, take that certificate and give it to the free prisoner. He's, he's, he served this time. Here's your certificate. So if he goes out on the street and somebody says, hey, you're a thief. How'd you get on the street? You're supposed to be in jail. Oh, I got my certificate. I served my time. See what Paul is doing? Took the certificate where we had any, we, we were separated from God for all eternity if God doesn't intercede in our lives with Jesus Christ. We, he paid the debt. Here's the certificate, right? What does it talk about Satan? How do you interpret this in Revelation? You know, he's condemning the, the saints, right? How does it read? Uh, right, he's, uh, you know, he's condemning them. And, and, and in one sense, the certificate, if we could carry this illustration, just show Satan. 
My sins have been forgiven for all eternity. You can condemn me. You know, you could do what you have to do and try to make me look guilty. This is my certificate. It was nailed to the cross for all eternity. I don't know about you guys, but I tell you what, it's a pretty nice feeling to wake up and know that my sins are forgiven. That's a pretty nice feeling to know that my sins, that God will never count my sins against me for all eternity. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. Right? Now, if that's not enough to get us excited, I don't know how I can help you, really. But that's worth getting excited over. That's where our joy comes from. That's where our peace comes from. That's why instead of going through life saying, oh, no, when disaster hits, oh, no, we just go through life and say, so what? My sins have been forgiven. So what? I'm going to spend eternity with God. So what? That's the way it should play out in our hearts when we mature and we realize that this is a, a wonderful gift that God has bestowed upon us for all eternity. And so he goes on, so he says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he's talking about Satan and his hordes. You know, Satan's into organized crime, you know. He's got them all lined up. And, and, uh, but the idea is that not only are our sins forgiven, but Satan has no jurisdiction over us. Demons have no jurisdiction over us. Get a little concerned. Everybody's always, oh, demons, this, that, and they fear them. And it's like, I wish you feared God the same way you feared demons. You know? They have no jurisdiction over us if we're a child of God. We're complete in Christ. The scriptures teach us they have absolutely no authority. And what that means is that there's, there's no way that the kingdom of darkness can interfere with the plans that God has for us. Now, again, I'm using this strictly in a spiritual way. There's a lot of prosperity messages out there, very distorted, you know, com commentary. But, but the reality as far as authority, we don't have to cave in to Satan. We don't have to cave in to our sin. It's up to us. If we're going to fight back with the truth and we're going to realize what, what God has done for us, we might have our struggles. But my starting point is, Father, Romans 6 tells me, I don't have to live in sin any longer. I struggle with it. I'm going to have a bad day. But my starting point is that you have set me free. I know that. And that's what I would encourage all of us. We have been set free. We make jokes about that. The truth will set you free, right? You hear all these, you know, they almost make jokes about it with these programs. And it's like, you know what? The truth will set us free. And if the spirit of truth is in us, we're free. Right. And so if I see someone struggling, say, Tommy, I can't do this. This is tough. It's like, come on, brother. We got to get back. Come on, sister. We got to back this up and find out what happened to you with salvation. The enemy's blinding you from this great salvation that God has bestowed upon us. That's, just give God a chance to start ministering to us again. That's why we need to be in fellowship. You know, it's not, some of us have been around for years, right? It's not, not as if we're hearing something new, Right. Oh, I, I never heard that before. You know, and it's like, we've, we've heard everything if we've been around for 20, 30 years, right? But the plan is to remind each other, to continue to remind each other of these wonderful truths because we, we seem to have a short memory. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, it's a great thing. I, I, memory is phenomenal to me. You think about it. You know, when I think about when I do a creation versus evolution, where does memory come from? Where does hearing come from? You know, and you say, this is phenomenal. Evolution? What are you guys, nuts? All due respect, you've got to be a complete fool to believe in that nonsense. All due respect. Or maybe no respect. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but the reality is like, you know, this is just amazing how God has wonderfully made us. We as humans are residual. You know, I mean, we, we seem to be able to fight off a lot of things, even before Christ. You know how much more we can fight off the, the adversity of life being in Christ? How much more power we're carrying to be able to, you know, just persevere? That's who we are. We're new creatures in Christ. And so he goes on and he says, verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things that come, but the substances of Christ. We'll talk more about that in a second. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up with a fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Christ from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligament grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ, and we have from the basic principles of this world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulation? It's almost like don't put yourself back on the do's and don'ts. That's not the way we live the Christian life. We live the Christian life by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is testifying to the truth. When we're out of bounds, the Holy Spirit pokes us. All of a sudden, conviction comes in. And we start crying out to God, Father, change me. Think one of the prayers again, right? We're here. Change us, Lord. Change us during worship. That's, the whole, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing for us. We can't change ourselves. That's why God sent us the Holy Spirit, so he could change us. We can acknowledge things and be remorseful. But the reality is to, to walk consistently in the truth of God, the Holy Spirit has to do his work. And he will do his work if we're crying out in confession and change. How many people are running around just never confessing their sins? This is crazy. There's no way they can go forward in the faith. They almost got a bulletproof vest on. Don't point any errors out in their lives. Oh, they'll get crazy on you. And it's like, hey, the only way you can go forward is to repent, confess your sins. But let's take it back to a mature Christian. A mature Christian knows that. A young Christian who's teachable knows that. Oh, I don't want anything to interfere with my walk with God. The Holy Spirit shows us something, and we acknowledge it and say, Father, I'm in agreement with the Holy Spirit pointing these things out to me. Please, Father. I want to change my ways and glorify you in my life. That's how this works. It doesn't take curriculum. You know, again, I'm not a big fan. I hope I don't offend anybody. 12-step programs. Come on. Stop with the programs. The program is Jesus Christ. The program is the Holy Spirit. Do you know that churches have lost the model? The, the, the biblical technology for dealing with sin? 
follow me? They're not even showing people how to deal with sin anymore because they've got so many programs that the truth is being suppressed. The program is Christ. Live in the fullness of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't believe what God will do in uprooting all these struggles. Well, Tom, you never had this addiction. And it's like, hey, take it easy, all right? Sin is addicting. <laughs> what do we have to have a specific addiction? Sin is addicting. But you know what the Holy Spirit does for us? This is, and this is not, not far-fetched. We get addicted to holiness. I've thought about that expression, and I'm looking at the scriptures. We can get addicted to holiness. I was telling Michael last Sunday, Michael Sr., <laughs> Mike, they did this illustration. This was interesting. Again, I'm not using the illustration as a mandate, but there was a lot of truth to this. They had a rat in a cage, and in one bottle of water, they put a touch of heroin. And in the other bottle, they just put pure water. Where do you think the rat went to? The heroin. The one with a little touch of heroin. Okay? Okay, they redid the test. Two bottles, same thing. They put another rat in there. A female rat, you know. Put little gadgets, little toys, little things to spin, right? Which bottle did the rat go to? The pure water. Why? It was so occupied with all these other good stuffs. The point that I'm trying to make with the illustration, we can outrun anything if we're occupied with Jesus Christ. That's the point I'm trying to say here. I'm not going to say that those tendencies are not real. Those tend tendencies are strong. But what I am saying, how are we going to outrun those tendencies? Run with God. Get excited about God. I didn't think it was ever possible that I can get excited except gambling and drinking and partying. You know, I was one of those guys that said, you know what? If I become a Christian, do I have to give up all this partying? I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> this is crazy, and I say this in love. I didn't think it was possible that I can get excited just following Jesus Christ, more so than anything else in the world. You know, Gambling, it's like, well, it's kind of bland now. You really want to get excited about life? Spend time with the Lord. You know, occupy ourselves with God through a spirit-filled life. You know why we sin? Because it tastes good, right? Peter says, taste the goodness of God, right? We start tasting the goodness of God, right? What's going to happen? All that other stuff that tastes so good to us, the pleasures of sin, doesn't taste that good to us anymore, does it? That's the way this works. Uh, don't put any roadblocks in your way. All right? We go to a church, Tim, preach Christ. Okay, preach Christ. Every book in the New Testament is Christ. Preach Christ. Christ. 
Sometimes I feel the American church, too many bells and whistles, right? Programs, and I'm not big on them, I'm telling you. And like I said, I think, you know, we start setting up too many artificial things. I'm telling you, we might just blind ourselves from the reality of Christ in our lives. I don't want that to happen to anybody. Hey, listen, I know it's a struggle. This flesh is still breathing. All right, I, I get it. I understand it. But there is a path that God has put us on. Do you know when God says, don't, don't let sin reign in your body? You think about this, okay? How in the world can God put that kind of yoke on us if we don't have the power against sin? Romans 6. Now, you think about that, right? You know, if we were born in the first century, we'd all be in the trenches huddling up together. Some guy says, I have a 12-point program. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Get out of here. We're huddled up praying. We know who we are in Christ. I'm serious. There was nothing like that. They were all just in the trenches, depending on God with all their hearts. Then you get people say to me, oh, but it works. It works. And it's like, what's working? You've been part of that program for 15 years. Don't tell me it works. Sometimes, you know, I can't tell people. I mean, there's so much drugs going on. I'm talking prescription drugs. Someone has the blues one day, they get them on antidepressants. Come on. This is crazy. You talk about brain-altering pills? That's a horrible thing. My experience pastoring people who are on any kind of brain-altering drugs, I can't minister to them. Those drugs have taken over somewhere. They can hear me. They can agree with me. They're 100% they're with me. They can't change. Something has taken over. And I'm telling you what I would say to someone who says, well, I want to get off all this prescription stuff and all this. It's like, give God a chance. That's all I can say. I can't tell you to throw it away. I, I'd like to. I, I probably do at times. But the problem is you're hooked on it. You're dependent upon it. And I would say, give God a chance. Get dependent upon him. You won't believe what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. But you know what? That message is gone in the American church. <laughs> it's, it's gone. Everybody's talking about this, boasting about this, boasting about this program. It's, it's gone. I was at the supermarket one day. I was made touch with a Christian woman. Oh, you're a Christian. Hey, I go to this Baptist church. We got a great 12-point program. First thing out of her mouth. And I said, what? Why didn't you tell me we preach Christ in our church? I would have loved it. She couldn't tell me that. She was innocent of her comment. But that's the way she's groomed. That's the way she's taught. This is where it's at. And it's like, no. I'll tell you where it's at. His name is Jesus. That's where it's at. But so many things have gotten away. Let me just keep reading. It says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. You can't human instructions, you know, rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, right? There is do's and don'ts, but again, there's a difference. We live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we uphold the righteousness of God and his demands through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We don't do it in the flesh. Okay, I got the Ten Commandments on my refrigerator. And I look at them and I do them. And it's like, just, you know what? A spirit-filled Christian knows the holiness of God. They know when they're breaking God's law. We're not under the Ten Commandments. We're under the grace of God. But we uphold the righteousness of God through a spirit-filled life, okay? But I was using that as an example as people, they're almost being... Rules and regulations, thou shalt not do this. And it's like, we, you know, do we really need, you know, there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. The rabbis put it together, right? Do we really need 613 commandments to, to really know what's right and what's wrong? No. If we're maturing, we understand the holiness of God. Trust me. We don't need something written. We know when we're doing something wrong. Because we're so t in tune with God, we know something's wrong in our hearts. We get conviction. And I say amen. And when we get conviction, submit to that conviction. You know, problem sometimes when people are a little hard-headed, the conviction's going off. They keep ignoring it, ignoring it. A brother or a sister's telling you the same thing that the scriptures are telling you or the Holy Spirit's telling you. You keep ignoring it until the conviction goes away. Then it comes back again. You keep ignoring it until it goes away. Spirit-filled Christian, well, we're not going to ignore the conviction. And we'll say to a brother or sister, something's wrong in my heart. I'm, and it's like, I think I'm doing the wrong thing. I, I could see my motives. Something's not right. You know, I'm battling jealousy. I got a little anger. You know, I'm not treating my wife right. You know, I'm not being a good employee. The Holy Spirit's poking us. Come on, be a better employee. Stop complaining like the rest of them, right? They love to, right? Everybody's assassinating the boss. And we jump in and we say, yeah, that guy's a bum, man. I, you know, and it's like, come on. And we start, we go home, we should get convicted and say, you know what? I don't think I did the right thing. I need to, you know, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any, any unwholesome words come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Amen? Amen. I'm gossiping too much, talking about every, everybody that moves. I got to knock it off. You know, it's too much. Gossip is very entertaining. That's the problem. Right? Everybody loves to gossip. Right? Even the person who says to you, that's between you, me, and the lamppost. Well, that's fine, unless you tell 100 people the same thing. That's gossiping to 100 people. But that's, you know, that's who we are in our flesh. But this is where we allow the Holy Spirit to get in there and say, come on, you know. I'll tell you how personal this gets. Years, you know. My wife, I was getting annoyed, you know, she was doing something, and, and I said, yes, dear. But my heart was wrong before God. And God said something like, you might have fooled your wife, but your heart is wrong before me. I want you to do it with the right heart when you're going to help your wife. That's pretty strong. Now, that's, a, again, I'm, I'm just using this as an example. How close this gets in our personal relationship with God, to get that kind of conviction. See, my wife didn't think anything wrong of it. I said, yeah, I'll help you. But I did it under protest, you know. <laughs> and only God and I knew it. Now, that's how strong conviction can be. 
If we're spirit-filled, we'll hear God, even in those moments. We tell a white lie, we're not getting away with it. You know, I get brothers or sisters, sometimes they talk out of both sides of their mouth. And it's like, where's the conviction? Did you hear what you said last week and what you're saying this week? No conviction. But that's not a good testimony. That's not a good witness for God. You know, and that's a real turnoff, at least for me. I'm not throwing stones, but, you know, we shouldn't be talking out of both sides of our mouth. What's the old saying? Let your yes be yes, and you know no. And so he says, verse 23, um, verse 21 again, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Oh, these kind of practices might impress people of carnal minds. They're not impressing God. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of sin. No power against it. You know, the monks, the monasteries, you know, being a student of church history, oh, they go to the mountains, go to the caves, you know, and isolate themselves. Listen, if we're not committed to the truth by the Holy Spirit, I don't know how anybody's going to change their ways except have the appearance of holiness. Ooh, that guy's real spiritual. He goes to the mountains, hangs out there. You know, and it's like, ah, that, that's a nice thing to do maybe as a, a supplement to a spirit-filled life, but not when it becomes the way of righteousness. When that's the way you do things and say, oh, I'm spiritual, you know. It's our hearts that need to be changed, and that's what makes us spiritual. A definition of a person who's spiritual, someone who's conforming to the Word of God and conforming to the person of Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a simple definition. You ever hear a New Age you know, definition of spirituality? Ooh, they go out there with the waving trees, and they wave with them. They're part of this cosmic God that's in creation. That's not spiritual, biblically speaking. That's a fool. <laughs> but that's very impressive. You know, very impressive to the naked eye. Spiritual is conforming to the word of God and to the person of Jesus Christ. That's spiritual, biblically speaking. End of story, right? <laughs> and so the purpose and theme of Colossians I hope this week, maybe give it a shot, read through it with a little bit of that understanding to look for this, but to show the complete sufficiency of Christ for the believer in knowing God and walking in righteousness. The book is contrasted with the emptiness of mere human philosophy and ideas of man in attempting to accomplish holiness apart from Christ. And so the major issue in the background of this letter are those who introduce ways of righteousness by the flesh, challenging the person of Christ in us in the practice of righteousness. I like to use this uh, scripture, uh, the escalator illustration. I heard this years ago. Going up an escalator, right? You get on the bottom step and this takes you right up, right? Pretend Jesus is on the bottom step 
and you come into salvation at the bottom step. You accept Christ, right? So Jesus now carries you, and you go up the escalator with him, and you make it to the finish line, right? He's doing all the work. Don't misunderstand me. We're making choices, and we're submitting, and we're committed. We still have a free will. But the reality is he's the one that's going to take us to the finish line. And all we have to do is hold on to him in obedience to the truth. That's all we have to do. I'm telling you, this life is so precious. Won't get caught up in the current events or all the disappointments that this life can throw at us. It's not a big deal. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, we have episodes. We lose a loved one or something. I'm not talking about those are tough episodes. What I'm talking about is a way of life. We just go through and... I sometimes think we get so blind to this world because we're so in love with God. You ever, I always use the commercial, uh, the cartoon. Remember Mr. Magoo? All right, he had those big glasses walking around, four by four beams are just missing him. He never knows it. Well, we're so focused on the Lord, we don't even realize the dots of the enemy because we're so caught up in God. You know, and then all of a sudden life, you know, it's, 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 it's more doable because uh, the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. But we do see the preeminence of Christ, and um, we see uh, in chapter 1, we see his preeminence in creation, we see his preeminence in the church, we see his preeminence in the gospel, but what we've been emphasizing here tonight in chapter 2, we see his preeminence in the practice of righteousness over any other idea of man. Some of the different practices that challenge Christ in the centrality of the gospel, let me just list a couple for you, six. Traditionalism, the additional practices of man that suppress the truth of Christ. I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a traditional church. All those traditional practices, praying to saints, praying to Mary, they were just roadblocks to Christ. That's all they were. They were roadblocks to Christ. My encouragement to my Catholic friends, let the people come to Christ, please. Let the people come to Christ. That would be my, my encouragement to them. We look at ceremonialism in this chapter, observing special days and foods as a primary means of expressing holiness. All of a sudden, you know, practicing holy days becomes a way of life. And all of a sudden, you know, my, my experience with tradition and ceremonial practices or a church with a strong liturgy, you know what I mean by a strong liturgy? You know, you find it in Catholicism. You find it in uh, you know, Jewish churches too with these liturgies. I'm okay in one sense, but if we're not being trained in righteousness through Christ, that's going to create a problem because all those practices can't do anything for us as far as pushing us forward in the ways of righteousness. And so all of a sudden you get these strong liturgies. It's like, wow, that's some holy church. You see what they did with all these liturgies? And it's like, what is it doing for us personally if our heart's not right with God? We need somebody to provoke us to follow Christ. Do a liturgy every once in a while. You know, we do communion and water baptism. Those are commands by God, but not when it becomes this, you know, the way of, of defining holiness. Nobody's going to grow. You know, I'm just a little concerned sometimes. Every, people, whether it's in Catholicism or in Judaism or Messianic churches, they, they get consumed in the liturgy. And all of a sudden, they forget about Jesus. I'm always a little chuckle, I guess a little sad, but 
A lot of those churches are filled up with Gentiles. And I'm thinking, Messianic churches, I'm thinking, what are you guys, you became Jewish without accepting the Jewish Messiah? Am I missing something here? There's people who, who, who rather, you know, they became Jewish as Gentiles, and I'm not sure they accepted the Messiah. Well, again, all due respect, but I'm interpreting this in the way that if you're off balance with these things, Christ, according to 2 Corinthians, is going to be veiled to us. We won't see him and all his greatness. Asceticism, denying the, the body, fleshly desires, you know, sometimes a way of life is fasting, going to the mountains, you know, separating yourself from society, you know, and, and, and they're saying that these are ways to gain victory over the flesh. Now you think about that. You, you want to gain victory over the flesh? Right, just walk with Christ. I, I can't say this enough, okay? You can fast all you want, and fasting's a good option, but I'm using it in a different context. You can go to the monastery or go to the caves and you know, be spiritual out there in no man's land, and it's not going to do anything for you if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Form of godliness. You got humanism. Let me put that one on hold. Mysticism or secret knowledge. People who boast about having knowledge about things that comes from their own imagination outside the revelations of God. And you know what's the problem with that is, with these guys? There's no way to substantiate them. Right? You ever see these TV evangelists? God told me this. Right? And nobody could substantiate it. And you can't even prove it by the Bible, what's coming out of their mouths. It's mysticism. It's a mystery. Listen, if God puts something on our hearts, you know, somebody else is going to bear witness to it. Trust me. Okay? We're all going to bear witness. We can substantiate those claims. Now, I'm not saying maybe an isolated you know, where word of knowledge where God puts something on your heart in a situation where you've got to work it out. But I'm just saying, this guy's running around. God told me that there's five people here tonight that are supposed to give a thousand dollars. You know? By the way, I'm a little short, so uh, I'll have to save that one. Can't substantiate it, right? See, God has never left himself without two or three witnesses, even when it comes to his truth. Even when it comes to his truth. He'll substantiate it by two or three witnesses or by the whole church. And so this mysticism that goes on, TBN, I used to see it all the time, and it's like, well, God said this to me. And it's like, well, how do you prove that? You can't. That's not the way God works. That's the way false teachers work. We don't have to depend upon that. Idolatry, the worship of angels in this area, you know, Again, worshiping angels, and angels are very powerful in God's kingdom program, but we don't worship them, okay? <laughs> but they are very powerful. And so, these are all a combination, but let me end with this, humanism, which is reliance on human wisdom and, the, and tradition as a means of knowing God, and the, the message ends up appealing to human nature and not to our regenerated spirit. 
Humanism is when a man is trying to process truth apart from the Bible. And yet, he's appealing to other people in their carnal minds. And there's something attractive about it. You know? Most TV evangelists who know how to appeal to human nature, they're selling books that are false teachers out there. Oh, it's amazing. They have the multitude eating out of their hands. Spirit-filled Christian kind of looking, saying, he's not talking about Jesus. He's not talking about the Bible. But the average person who's undisciplined, who's not saved, or I don't know what they're doing there, if they're a believer, you know, they're just not processing this through the Spirit of God. They're processing what he's saying through their own human nature, through their own carnal mind. That's where the attractiveness is. Once again, a spirit-filled Christian wants someone to provoke them in their spirit. But let me end with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Very powerful area of scripture. This is one I would really encourage you to highlight and reflect upon on numerous occasions. Where are we? First Corinthians chapter two, verse one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you. I love this, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. That's what He said in chapter one. I preach Christ crucified. You scholars, you you you. Uh, philosophers, you're looking for wisdom, you're looking for miracles, I'm going to preach Christ crucified. And so, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, speaking about, you know, I mean, it was up against the world preaching Christ. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Did you pick that up? See, this is where we have to make sure that some guy is not giving us a sermon according to his opinionated commentary and not using the word of God. That's where we have to have ears that can hear. There's a lot of opinionated commentaries going on out there. Just bring me to the scriptures and teach it properly. I'll get it. But a lot of opinionated commentaries are going on out there. And it's like, you know, that guy's not even preaching the gospel. He's good. He's brilliant in his communicating skills. The question is, where's the attractiveness? I had one of my professors in college. I remember he walked out. He went to one of those seminars or something, you know, and his wife said, man, that guy was, wow, what a message. And he said to his wife, hon, the guy never opened the Bible. <laughs> The guy was just doing commentary as far as what he felt God was all about. Oh, but it was dynamic. You, know? you notice how Satan raises up his all-stars? Huh? They're all dynamic in their communicating skills. I wish I had their communicating skills as a truth seeker and upholding the truth. But I was cursed being born in Brooklyn, you know. <laughs> I can't even get my THs out. You know. But he says, in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. This is a climatic statement. If you take anything away from this sermon tonight, take this verse away. That your faith 
should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? Amen. And so make sure we're walking in faith the right way. Make sure that our faith is governed and directed by the Holy Spirit. All right? And make sure we're, we're good stewards of God's truth. We're growing. We're workmen. If we're maturing in the word, we should be able to spot a counterfeiter in a New York minute. Doesn't take me long, and I'm not trying to compare myself, but I've been in the word a long time. I think I've been faithful with the truth. And I'm telling you, it only takes me about one minute to listen to somebody. And I get, there's something wrong. It's not the spirit of truth. And it only takes me one minute to recognize the spirit of truth in somebody. Not all the time, but a lot of times. All right. Amen? Amen. Let me close us in prayer. And uh, just ask the Lord to... Or your homework. Read the book of Colossians. <laughs> Amen. Father, we, uh, we thank you again for just the uh, kindness that you've shown us, Lord, in opening our hearts to truly see the reality of truth, Father, concerning Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would not be imitators of, of the faith, but we would be the essence, Father. When I say imitate, imitate on the outside, Father, where we have the appearance of holiness, but allow our holiness, Father, really to emanate from our hearts because we love you and we're sharing your heart through the fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ. And as we close here tonight, Father, let us just, just consider, just consider, Father, the, this wonderful salvation that you bestowed upon us. And let us continue, Father, to, to wake up every day and, and consider the words of Ephesians 5. Find out what is pleasing to you every day. We love you, Father. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Bless the rest of their evening, the fellowship. Watch over them, Father, as they head home and sleep this night. And Father, let us just continue to always be prepared to testify to the truth of your Son at any cost. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.